Distazapod. Big week. Lots of stuff going on. So I think, instead of the usual preamble, we're just going to get right into it and start checking off things on this list. I uh, I got to be a lot of different places. We got New York Comic Con coming up momentarily, probably by the time you're listening to this. So, uh, news items. Z Star 7 has put out their second album. It is called Glowing Review. And uh, it is getting glowing reviews, as intended, thankfully. So go check that out. Uh, If you want to be a mensch, you can buy it on iTunes, but you can also listen to it for free on Spotify and every major streaming platform. Uh, If you do want to buy it on Bandcamp, there are some extras uh, bundled with it. Bandcamp Friday seems to be a popular thing, so maybe take that into consideration Z-Star is also embarking on a massive world tour, including two dates. One in way, way out in Newburgh, New York, which is just right across the bridge from where we usually play in Beacon. Uh, that is on October 19th at Jet Set Tiki. This is at a awesome tiki bar on the waterfront. And uh, we will be debuting, I think, some remixes, some sort of surf rock remixes of some of our songs Uh, If anyone was watching our live stream earlier this week, they would have heard those songs. And uh, they're also on our uh, SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash ZStar7. You can check out the Gothabilly Surf Rock covers playlist for um, some of those remixes. I think they're really good. I've been listening to them nonstop. Very, very interesting take on the songs. And in truth... Um, we've never released the track Surveillance because every time we've played that song and recorded it, it never really clicked. I think the original is great, but the uh, audio recording quality is, is pretty bad, so you can't necessarily release that. Uh, so Surveillance has been noticeably absent from our official releases, and part of the reason is we just never really got our teeth into that song. And I think this surf rock version could actually end up being the version of surveillance that goes out into the bigger world. So, interesting little tidbit there. End of the Cowboy, Dawn of the Pirate. That is the big transition we're going through right now. Uh, At this point, the action figure of the millennia for September and October is in the majority of people's hands, so I'm going to speak at liberty about it. If you're holding off for some reason, if you're retaining that power, uh, you'll want to skip ahead. But... uh, This is finally kind of a Halloween-themed release. Two orange figures. That's pretty nice, I think. We have Star Marshal Zero, and we have uh, Lady Arsenal, a.k.a. Madam Ammo. And uh, my idea here was very simply just just two people armed with guns shooting it out. And uh, I think people seem to really like it. I love the, the color of orange. This was another one that was really in a long time, uh, sorry, in the making for a very long time. Uh, As I have remarked, this is the last cowboy armor set we're doing. That's it. Uh, Kit and I's deal was to do two production runs. This represents the very last armor that was run in the second production run. And generally, we both were in agreement that we'll let this rest after he got his releases out under the Annex banner and after my very last one shipped as well. So... Uh, that's it. We are bidding adieu to the cowboy. There will still be star marshals out there, but, uh, you know, a very nice bookmark for what I think is a a pretty meaningful accessory set that really brought 
Knights of the Slice into a much different level. Um, you know, the, the storytelling and the character releases we've been able to do with the Star Marshal fully decked out in armor has been pretty incredible. So it is sad to see it go, but we're moving on to a new genre we're going to tackle. And in many respects, you know, I came and did what I wanted to do in the cowboy genre. That was something on my checklist very early on. Dowdy and I were always talking about what would a sort of space cowboy look like in this world. Uh, we finally did it. I think it was quite successful. People seem to genuinely love it. And now it's time to sundown that and begin the exploration of the next genre we're going to hop into, which obviously is the Sea of Daggers. Now, I had intended the next sail to be the sort of Death Friends uh, compilation, if you will, which features Waylon, a Harley and Marley style character. Uh, it features a brand new Weaponeers of Monka accessory set to deck out Waylon. Um, and then a really crucial black goss that is perfect for kitbashing and customizing. And patrons already got the chance to pre-order that bundle. But as I was going through the workshop and I was putting together some spare parts of cowboy armor and things like that, I was like, there's enough here for an entire release. And more to the point, I started fooling around with the armors and I found two kitbashes that I really, truly loved. And that is what became uh, Star Marshal Block and Fleawit. Um, now, a, a very important note here on a couple building uh, aspects. Please heat the parts when you build with them. In particular, Fleawit's skirt. It has to be heated before you fit it on there. And in truth, a lot of the Star Marshal armor kind of works best if you heat it first. And the secret here is to heat the holes, not the pegs. You want the pegs to be firm. You want the holes to have a little bit of pliability to them. And then they pop together. If you're having trouble assembling your Star Marshal armor, I did make a guide out there somewhere. I think it's on YouTube under Toy Pizza. But just generally, I put the armor together off the figure and then I slide it onto the figure. And the process works much better, I find, uh, going that route. The double year AFOTMs got uh, quite a special parcel this time around. So obviously uh, there is a orange Star Marshal and then there is the sort of, let's say maroon Star Marshal. This became the Flea Wit. Um, but they also got a hand-painted, uh, essentially Suitman body. Now, I've seen some people, uh, he, let me give you the correct formula for the Suitman body because I included a lot of extras and, uh, you know, I've seen some interesting builds, let's say. The Star Marshal head doesn't actually go on that second um, uh, Lady Arsenal um, build or figure. Uh, it is intended to be the Suitman arms and legs and crotch piece and then the female Star Marshal torso and then the Star Marshal head on top of it. I've seen some people using the Suitman torso that is, uh, you know, the Johnny Phantasm one. It's probably more colloquially all known as. Um, and the Star Marshal head on top, they don't really fit together. It's intended to be the female torso, Star Marshal head on top with those special painted limbs. So uh, just a little note to help people kind of achieve the right look they're going to want for their display. It is also worth noting Lady Arsenal is gonzo. No second chance offer being made for her. I used every single piece of inventory I had to fulfill the AFOTM. 
Uh, this is going to be more and more commonplace. So if you're not a member at the $30 or $50 tier, you're going to want to consider prepaying and pre-signing up for next year because uh, I've finally figured out the right combination of ordering inventory, uh, the club limits, what the ceiling is on that, how many tiers we have, and and just I, I'm figuring out how to make this business sustainable and profitable. But part of that means I can't take on huge inventory of club figures. And so there, there will be things in the future that are not offered up for second chance. So as we move into 2024 and we start the recruitment process for the club next year, just take that into mind. There are going to be scarcities and you will not have every opportunity to order something after the fact. The club is going to become more and more special for the people that sort of, you know, pledge and dedicate themselves to it. Oh, you know, I went on a whole digression here. I forgot to mention the second massive tour date that is uh, coming up for Zed Star 7. We are, of course, traveling all the way across the globe, if you can believe it, to Beverly, Massachusetts for the Game of Hope graphic jam. This is uh, put on by Bonell, by Raw Shark, uh, by our good friend Marcus. And they are welcoming all these incredible Japanese artists to their town. Zed Star 7 will be there. We will be playing. I will be there selling figures. I have an awesome exclusive getting ready to launch soon. I will make a pre-order option for patrons. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be in the area, but I would not miss this show for the world. It is so incredibly exciting. So um, I'm absolutely looking forward to that, and I hope to see you guys. That is, of course, on Saturday, October 28th from 1 to 6 p.m. So I think that pretty much covers us for news. If I forget anything and it pops in my mind, I will bring it up in the next segment, which is going to be questions and answers. Okay, now over to questions. Brett Barnacle, no questions this week for me. Just wanted to express my love for this month's mailing of action figure of the Millennia Club. Great color theory and poster take care. Thank you. Um, that's not a question. Get the hell out of here. No, just kidding. Uh, look, I'm, I'm hyped on, on September, October. I think it's a lot of fun. It also represents something I would like to be doing more of. And that is with every parcel, there was a handcrafted poster for me, a little wanted poster. I took a lot of time and, uh, you know, dyed these, dried them out, burned them with a magnifying glass, shot a couple rounds of long 22 into them and uh, added a, a stamp and in some cases a little bit of ink. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was very meaningful and I think that with toy design there could be so little art at a certain point. Like there's art in the conceptualizing stage and then after that it's all logistics and it's it's not it, I don't want to say it's unfulfilling but it is not the highest level of artistic expression at all times. And so I had a great experience handcrafting, you know, however many, 200 of these little posters for people. And uh, I would like to do that more. I think if we can maintain the level of patronage that we have now, which is, you know, any given time between 200 and 250 patrons, um, if we can keep that up and everybody is cool with me shipping everything every six weeks as opposed to every four weeks, I think I, I can 
hopefully continue on with this making of individual artwork as the backer card. I think that's a, that's kind of an important, meaningful part of this. And as long as I have the time and space to do it, I would like to continue to do it. So if you guys are interested in that, let me know. Uh, I would like to dedicate myself to it because it, it was a hell of a lot of fun. And I am working on November and December already, if you can believe it. Um, and it's going to be going down that path as well. So um, I'd like to continue this this sort of trend. And in order to do that, I only need to not lose a significant amount of patrons. And I'll tell you what, if we could even increase my number of patrons by telling your friends and turning your friends onto this, um, I could get even more in-depth and more exciting about these handcrafted pieces of art. So, food for thought. Next up, a good question, a thoughtful question from Robert Wilkinson. Uh, due to all the floods, wildfires, general global doom and gloom, do you have any thoughts on the environmental impact of your products? Is this something you consider, have concerns about, have looked into? Just interested in getting your perspective. It also came to mind as I recently discovered Alexander Girard's wooden dolls and wondered if toy making might revert to different materials at some point in the future. Thanks so much. Uh, great question. Um, I have talked about the environmental impact of toy making and plastics manufacturing in the past, but I think it was probably before Robert had sort of joined us at the table. So to lay my thoughts out again, um, this is an incredibly destructive process and an incredibly destructive hobby. There's tons of waste involved. There are fossil fuels involved. There's pollution. It is an extractive process. It does not regenerate itself. It's a pretty gross and disgusting sort of industry that I'm in. Um, I would also say, I personally suspect that the amount of plastics all of us handle in our daily lives is probably not good for us. This is not a science-based uh, declaration. This is a, a, you know, a wild thought I've had for a long time. I think that in many ways, in future decades, maybe a hundred years from now or so, they're going to look back on how much plastic is integrated into our lives in the same way that we look at the process of lining hats with mercury was, you know, in the, uh, in the 1800s. Like, that was a highly poisonous substance that killed people that worked with it, and they really thought nothing of it. I think in many regards, th this overuse of plastics is going to seem like such a insane, preposterous, dangerous thing to future generations. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Now, with all that said and all that out of the way, I did not choose the conditions of this world that I came into, right? Um, I, you know, I am sort of fixed in a place and time using the materials that are available to me with the connections and the expertise that I have at my disposal. And that by no means absolves my participation in this, in this stupid cycle. Uh, but it is an acknowledgement that I have made peace with ultimately. I have tried fruitlessly to look into recyclable plastics and regrind and using that for uh, production pieces. I've looked at the potential of 3D printed or home brewed figures and releases. I have lobbied my factories to switch over to biodegradable plastic bags. And at the end of the day, all of these things are way too cost ineffective or unpopular or whatever the case may be 
the conditions supersede myself and my own acumen in order to affect a meaningful change. So I'm here. Uh, I am somebody who is contributing to the decline of the planet as we know it. And what I come back to is a, is a saying from Miyazaki. He said, if I entertain people, perhaps I deserve to exist. And that's kind of where I end up on the subject. Um, yes, no question, the prolifer proliferation of fossil fuels and manufacturing of plastic goods is bad for everybody involved with it. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm a single individual in the material conditions which are not of my choosing. And I do believe I entertain people. And it is a tough world out there, so perhaps if I bring a little bit of light, uh, you know, my soul will be absolved at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, I agree, this ain't good stuff. But uh, it's hard to sort of find comfort or excitement or pleasant feeling in the modern era. So if you do have an avenue, if you have a hobby where you do feel those things, then uh, I say that's worth it. Next question from Thomas Bucci. What's your stance on fans making and selling custom parts that work specifically with toy pizza figures? Uh, I've touched on this before, but good to reiterate. Uh, I'm happy for anybody to make whatever custom parts they want. The right thing to do is to reach out to any creator when you are sort of making stuff within their world and let them know what's happening. Um, but, you know, generally I'm open to it. We did have a situation where somebody was sort of making duplicates of copyrighted material. Uh, and in this case, this was during my trademarking process. And that's a very crucial time because you have lawyers and you have the copyright office doing web searches to verify the ownership of these marks. And if there are sort of uh, fan-based customs out there that are not labeled as such, they can point to that as, you know, a, a sort of uh, proof of unclear ownership or whatever the terminology is. Uh, but that ended very amicably. And that person is now a very welcome member of the Squires of the Slice. Uh, so I think it's always good to reach out to any artist if you're sort of, you know, doing a derivative work or something that works alongside what they've created. Um, and I think generally, you know, I'm pretty open to it as long as I know about it. Next up from Matt Connolly, I've been making some soundscapes with a variety of Korg synthesizers. Are you employing any chlor uh, sorry, Korg options in your Z-Star 7 rig? Uh, I mean, Korg is the sort of the centerpiece of my Z-Star rig, which is always changing, obviously. I'll see if I can't post a picture of the latest rig. But, um, you know, the majority of music for our, you know, the first two years was written on a Korg uh, Chaosolator Pro. And while we may not use the Chaosolator Pro in our live shows, those original instrumentals have been sort of recreated on another device, a Novation Circuit, which is kind of like our backing track. Uh, so the, the sort of genesis of the Korg synthesizers is still very much a part of the soundscape of Z-Star 7. In my current rig, I do have quite a few Korg pieces. I have a very small Chaos pad and a Chaosolator pad linked together. Uh, so when I'm doing uh, improvisational pieces or I'm hosting Club Draw, things like that, I will you know, utilize those for sure. Uh, I also have the NTS-1, which is a little buildable synth kit. It's a lot of fun. I highly recommend if anybody's interested in 
in any of this, uh, check out that little kit. Um, I use that, uh, and that is sort of time synced to a Volca keys. Now the Volca, sorry, Volca rhythm. No, which one is it? Let me step back. There's a series of Korg little boxes called Volcas, and you can link them all together, and one will do your keys, one will do your lead, one will do your rhythm, your bass. You link them all together, and it's beautiful. They all work in sync. It's just like, it's so much fun. So I have a vocal rhythm. No, sorry, vocal beats. That's what it is, vocal beats. Uh, linked to the NST arpeggiator. And so those two go off, and they work in total tandem, and that's a lot of fun. Now, for live streams, I've busted back out the Electribe, which I don't actually like and I wouldn't recommend, but it does have a couple of pretty key things it does well. Um, the Electribe, I thought, would replace the Chaosolator Pro in my rig, but it's too big and it does less than the Chaosolator Pro, which is like 20 years old at this point. So um, it's kind of a niche tool. Uh, it's good for like making dance tracks, which is not something we do too often, but when I'm live streaming, that's great. That's a great foundation in which to layer then the Voca Beats and the NTS on top of, add a little bit of the OP1. Um, I, I realize like I'm saying all this stuff and it probably only registers to about 10% of listeners here. This is very like gearhead sort of talk, but I like this stuff. I get animated by it. It's a lot of fun. So uh, yes, Korg is a centerpiece of the Z-Star 7 sound. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And if any of this sounds remotely interesting, I would recommend people start dabbling. I think Korg is a perfect entry point into making electronic music. Um, and I would point to the Chaosolators as a excellent starting point and also the NTS as a, you know, a very fun build-it-yourself sort of experience. Next question from Chris Wynn. Love the colorway of this month's AFOTM. Perfect for getting in the Halloween spirit. How do you choose the colorways? What is your thinking process? Well, this was a very interesting month because it came together kind of at the last minute. Um, I had those Suitman bodies for a long time. I was just like, I love this orange color. I'm going to run these and I'm going to hold on to them because I know at a certain point I'm going to want to use this. I typically stray away from holiday theme releases and things like that. But um, this one, as the year progressed, I was like, you know, I could bust this out for Halloween. This, this might be a really good color. The other thing I was sitting on for a long time was this sort of Kenner blue cowboy armor that became the Zero armor. Um, if, for those who have been following the breadcrumbs, Star Marshal Zero has been teased out for quite a long time now at this point. He's had a couple cameos that maybe people picked up on, maybe not. Um, so I was sitting on this Kenner blue armor, I was sitting on this Suitman body, and I was like, you know what, fuck it, I need something strong for Halloween. Um, I, I'm in the rare position where I have a ship date coming up so people get stuff in time for Halloween. Let's just do it. So very late in the game, I placed the order for the Cyber Mama Torso and the orange Star Marshal, but it was like at the last minute, I was just playing around with the parts and I put the Star Marshal head on the female torso and I was like, holy shit, this looks great. This is like, this is phenomenal. This is, this is a new character, I can feel it. So 
at the very last minute, I placed the order for the orange base body Star Marshal and the orange Simop parts, and they got here just in time. And I think it's it's wonderful. It, it, this is a good example of like thinking on your feet and kind of improvising. I did not know what October and September and October were going to be. Came together within the span of a couple weeks. I was able to get my goods from the factory, and um, sure enough, I think it's it's great. It just really works. And more importantly, we had a really strong sale for all of the ancillary parts for the addition of Star Marshal Block and Star Marshal Fleawit. All of this stuff kind of gelled together organically, and it made for a really strong club parcel, but then also a really strong store drop as well that kind of gets people extra parts to, you know, continue living out the storyline they might be playing in their head. It's, it's nice when a sale ties into the club figure and you get like four or five really excellent characters that automatically kind of relate to each other. I think that's toy making when it's working really well. Okay, next Patreon question from Lance Tomimoto. Can I get your opinion on Kenner's superpowers? Perhaps how you think they stack up to Secret Wars or what you think of the line. My favorite toy memory as a child is my mother surprising me with a superpower Superman in first grade. She bought at the grocery store. Uh, it was an impulse buy she bought just to be nice and I have found there are many times in my life when I felt so lost at the thought of uh, that the thought of it would make me feel better. Um, I, I really like stories like that. I think we all have them. Uh, I love Kenner's superpowers and also I love Mattel's Secret Wars and I think that they worked really well together. Um, I had no sort of qualms about squaring off, you know, uh, sort of mixing the the two worlds. I do say, I, I think I prefer superpowers to Secret Wars, but I don't think you have to choose. Um, I would also say, you know, we've had this resurgence of figures in this style. You know, we have famously McFarlane doing superpowers figures. I'm eagerly awaiting the long box figures from my good friend Jason Geyer. Um, and it's nice that that format is sort of still continuing on. What I would say for me in the McFarland figures, there is a kind of looseness to superpowers figures, wobbly legs, arms, that I find very endearing. And the McFarland stuff is very stiff and very tight and very symmetrical. And it's nice to have, but it doesn't quite hit the same button for me as the original Superpowers line. It'll be interesting to see how Longbox sort of uh, approaches that portion of the aesthetic. But um, generally, I'm with you. I, I think it's a great line. I think there's a lot to go into. I did uh, I did get for myself, uh, from good friend of the show, Mark Mosman, his former Hall of Justice Superpower set. I had that as a kid, but I had a tag sale find, so it was missing almost everything and covered in dried Play-Doh and stickers and shit. Uh, Mark's is pristine, and I was very happy he sold it to me. It's in my display case. I'm looking at it right now. That is a, you know, a fantastic playset. Um, I could talk all day about superpowers. I will spare you. It's a great line. Uh, I don't know what the prices are like these days, but um, it was also relatively inexpensive to collect when I sort of started to get heavy into eBay, you know, around uh, 16, 17 years old. Um, so, yeah, it's one of the greats. Heading over to Discord for our Discord questions. How do you get access to our Discord? 
well, you got to be a member of patreon.com slash Jesse DeStazio. I bid you do it. You should. It would be great. You should join us in the brother and sister and non-binary hood of the Squires of the Slice. We're formidable, formidable community. We will be heard. Our day will come. Uh, okay, so, first up, we got Geozilla. Was the name for the Star Marshal Antonius Block inspired by the knight in Ingmar Bergman's, it's a tough name to say, The Seventh Seal, and if so, how, in the movie, Antonius Block is a knight returning from the Crusades who thinks he can trick death and offers death a game of chess, but to no good end. Spoiler alert. Um, yes, it is directly, I just stole that. I love the name. I love the movie. I just recently watched it a few days ago. Max Van Sydow. My God, what a career that guy has had. He passed recently, but uh, incredible to be in The Seventh Seal, to be in Star Wars The Force Awakens, and to be in David Lynch's Dune, just to name a few. Uh, incredible. Yeah, great movie. Uh, always happy when there are film heads in my audience. So congratulations. You got the reference. And everybody should do themselves a favor, cancel every subscription service you have, and just get the Criterion Collection, and just watch the good stuff. Yes, it's boring, it's foreign, it's in black and white, but, um, you know, that's kind of the antidote to the modern era. Next up from the Robot Assassin, what are my favorite arcade games? Which ones have I been able to finish to completion, and which ones did I want to beat but kept defeating me? Um, I would say probably... The Marvel vs. Capcom, Aliens vs. Predator, that I think is, it's hard to pick a better game than that. I, I think you could make the argument for uh, the Marvel vs. Capcom fighting games. Those are a lot of fun, but fighting to me is a more superficial experience compared to something like AVP, which is um, just such a, a wonderful and a nuanced and beautifully decorated and also, you have, you know, the powerhouses of Akiman and Bengus in Capcom, in the design studio at that phase. Uh, just, it's fantastic. I love that game. I've never beaten that game. I don't think I've beaten any arcade games, unless I was playing on, like, the Switch and I could rewind the game and things like that. But, um, yeah, that's, that's a pretty easy one. Also notable ones, there was an earlier game, I think Sega did an Aliens game, uh, that has Ripley and a smart gun, and there's also... Um, some cool uh, sort of uh, APC levels. That's a great game. Beautiful color scheme. Um, you know, all the different colored aliens and things like that. That's pretty fantastic. Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, not an easy game to find, but that was a pretty gorgeous one. Um, there's lots of them out there, but again, I don't think I beat any arcade game ever. Next up, we have a deeply spiritual, possibly troubling, existential question from Thomas Jonte. And all of us have to gaze into the abyss within ourselves and decide the answer to this question. We cannot be guided. We cannot be coerced. It has to be an organic exploration. You have to confront your shadow self, absorb it, and on the other side, you may have the key to this. Is candy corn good? Um, whew. Is candy corn good? Is candy corn good? Uh, I... You know, I don't think anybody needs more than four or five candy corn. I've never seen somebody sit down and eat an entire bag of candy corn, right? 
Uh, I would say that maybe having one to two candy corn once a year is probably the most candy corn anyone needs or wants. Uh, you could make the argument the sort of alternate flavor, the brown chocolate candy corns are better. But at the end of the day, I, I think the candy corn experience is kind of waxy and lackluster. It's not a genre-defining candy by any respects. Um, I think it's a perfunctory one. It's it's a seasonal one. It is a an experience. Look, nobody should be eating an entire Cadbury egg, but every Easter you might want to bite into one, get the, the mouthfeel and the experience of it. Um, choking down that entire thing, phew, not very good. I, I would also say I don't think I've had any of these candies in probably close to 15 years, so... I may not be uh, the best person to ask this. I would say candy corns are not necessarily good, but they are enjoyable as the overall aesthetic of a season washes over you. So, you know, I, th I think that's probably where I want to leave it. I don't think turkey is a great meat, right? It's pretty mid, but having turkey in the fall it feels kind of nice. There's a nice feeling to it. So I think this is one of those things where the item itself is rather lacking, but the context and the experience sort of elevates it into something uh, aesthetically pleasing or memorable. I would say, hey, maybe Knights of the Slice is that, right? These are just pieces of plastic that are probably going to kill all of us. But for, for a moment, for a sliver, when you open that AFOTM club parcel and you are genuinely surprised for the first time in a while about its contents you take them out and you build and you swap the parts and you take photos that is transcendental of the item itself right again this is a couple cents of plastic uh the experience the memories the ability to share it with a community who are also having this synchronized experience that is transcendental that is sort of memorable so in many ways, I guess Knights of Slice is the candy corn of the action figure world. Wow, okay, I blew through those questions a lot quicker than I thought I would. So I'll tell you what, a special treat. I'm going to play for you all of our surf rock remixes. We got Surfer Visor, Who's to Surf, and Surf Valence. Uh, from Z Star 7. Again, if you are local, come check us out at Jet Set Tiki Bar on the 19th. Could we be totally converting to a surf rock band? I can't say, but it's pretty enticing to think about that. In any case, pizza out.
swinging sounds of Dead Star 7.